As you can tell from the slides, if you have a child from the age of four to fifth grade, they will be taking off with Mr. Adam and Miss Kara as they get to go through a, a uh, passage in Scripture that is uh, going to be a whole lot more fun than what we get to deal with. I'm just kidding. Uh, to, to Bill's comment before, there's actually something in common between Tennessee and Michigan football. Uh, if you notice, they both have the number two in their ranking. It just happens to be Michigan dropped the one after their two. That's all. So I'll let, I'll let some of you catch up on that one. Uh, we'll, we'll blame that on the school system. But uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, let's get into God's word. A white sandy beach being caressed by a nice, soft, gentle breeze as the water that is crystal clear just laps on to the shore. You can feel the warmth of the sun just caressing your skin. You can smell the mixture of flowers and salted ocean air. It is the absolute epitome of silence and solitude is there is not another human being around for hundreds of miles. See, some of you parents are going, where's the sign-up sheet for that one, right? They're already trying to take off and get out of here. But this is exactly where FedEx executive Chuck Nolan found himself. His life was nothing but go, 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 go. And one day, his globe-trotting job found him on a flight, on a freight-heavy 747. And while he's on this flight as he's going, the plot of his life takes a massive shift as he all of a sudden finds himself on an island just like I described as the lone survivor of the crash. It is there where he will exist in silence and solitude. For many of you who do not know, that is actually the story of the movie from 2000 called Castaway, starring Tom Hanks. So go ahead, turn your Bibles, turn them to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 10. What in the world does Galatians 1 have anything to do with the movie Castaway and Tom Hanks, right? Well, as you can see, Tom Hanks is now on a desolate island, all by himself, no one around for hundreds of miles, where he now exists in silence and solitude for four years. Not four days, not four hours, four years he is there. He is a man who went from being a go, 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 cannot stop, I'm an overbearing, I have to succeed FedEx executive, to now after four years in silence and solitude, he now has learned to the depths of being able to live on the bare essentials. For four years, silence and solitude chipped away and sanded down who he was and has changed Chuck Nolan. Chuck Nolan spent four years in silence and solitude, but I would argue that even small daily moments of silence and solitude can utterly shape and change any one of us. If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 10, we'll read to verse 17. 
Chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. And this is how God's Word reads. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Thank you. You may be seated. Culture has trained and conditioned us to feel safe and secure at home in and amongst the noise and crowds. Silence and solitude now evoke discomfort. For some of us, it even, it even brings out fear or a massive, massive just anxiety. Even now, there are people going, wait, 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 wait. come on, you, you need to keep going. But it's even a descriptor of how we are so wired now to just go, go, go. We feel more comfortable with a constant noise and distractions at our fingertips than we do with silence and solitude by just simply sitting on a a park bench. Gene Fleming says it this way, we live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude fit the area of Victorian lace high-button shoes, and kerosene lamps better than our age of television, video arcades, and joggers with earphones. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. In a world that is far more anxious, stressed out, and trying to find or at least look for what they would say is God's voice in their life, This is more so than ever before. We continually perpetuate this anxiety. We perpetuate this stress. We we even stand there with deftone hearts as we run around trying to seek God's voice. Because we have lost the discipline of sitting in silence and solitude. What we need is a new life of discipline. A set of disciplines that are birthed from a new set of priorities. It is here in the obscurity of the desert of Arabia where Paul shows us this massive contrast between mankind's noisy shallowness and God's depth in silence and solitude. It is a contrast between mankind's noisy shallowness and God's depth in silence and solitude. 
Look with me at verse 10, which is that first part of the contrast. Man's noisy shallowness. Verse 10, as we just read, for, I am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can almost hear it, can't you? You can almost hear His urgency, His desire, His push, His frantic pace to do more, to complete, to acquire success. A drive to gain the approval, the pat on the back, or the good old-fashioned gold star from the Sanhedrin. As there is that phrase in there that resounds, still trying to please man. Paul's former life as we have walked through was nothing more than that. It was a continual pursuit. A go, 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 go. He was the one who was to keep going no matter what. When things slowed down, Paul was going to continue. Paul was going to continue to keep going on the mission that was laid in front of him. Why? Because he was going to secure the seal of approval from the Sanhedrin. Paul tells us, even in this very passage in verse 14, and he was, what? Advancing in Judaism ahead of those who were of his age. He was pursuing up that religious success ladder higher and higher and higher, faster than those who were even around him. Success was the name of the game, and success what was what was going to be on his resume. Paul was the poster child for Judaism and the perfect leader to go and chase down and eradicate these Christian infidels. But as he continued to pursue, as he continued to go, as he had this drive, this determination, as he was going to show himself successful, as he pursued all of these different things in a shallow pursuit of success, there was no relationship. He saw all the do's and the don'ts of what the law required, but he had missed the absolute biggest thing, which was a relationship of depth with his Lord and Savior. And so it was depth that we see that replaced this shallow pursuit of success as Saul tried running up the ladder. And as he did so, there on the road to Damascus, as we talked about two weeks ago, God quickly knocked that ladder out from underneath him, and and Saul found himself face down on the road in the dirt. Saul's mind shift there happens. It shifts from man's shallowness, man's noisy shallowness of pursue, pursue, go, succeed, to God's depth in silence, in solitude. Which brings us to that second part of the contrast, which is really, as I've said many times already, God's depth in silence and solitude. Look at verse 15 with me. But when He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles... I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
At some point, I want to come back and I want to walk through the entire book of Galatians because there is so much doctrine and theology and so many things that that flow out of this book and even into these verses that we don't have time to cover. But what I do want to bring your attention to are two things that I think, man, at first I didn't notice them, but then as I went back and back, it was brought to light to me that Paul has an immediate and deliberate inaction on two different things. As you look through those verses, you see first, after his conversion, after his conversion on the Damascus Road, he talks to Ananias. Everything is happening there. He's sitting in the house. He does not then go and run to other people to figure out the depths and the expound of doctrine and theology and to go and figure out not just the basics of it, of this newfound faith that he has, or or to try to go to the utter depths of what this could mean. He simply doesn't run to other men. The second thing is that he doesn't do is he, he doesn't go and run to Jerusalem looking for the apostles to try to gain some form of a stamp of approval of, see, look, I'm just like one of you guys. I'm just like you. I'm an apostle. Look at what God has done. He's not looking for that seal of approval of being worthy. Instead, Saul makes what I would consider to be a rather peculiar move. He disappears into silence and solitude into the desert of Arabia. Why? Why? Why would he disappear into the deserts of Arabia? Well, we aren't told in Scripture why he actually disappears, but we as men like to fill that silence with a bunch of different theories. There are some theories that are out there. One, which is some conclude he went immediately on mission to go preach the gospel to a savage group of men. Another one is that he fled Damascus for his own safety from the Sanhedrin that were now going to try to kill him because of his deflection. A third one is that some say that he ran into the desert of Arabia and he was there for three years because that's the same amount of time that the disciples spent with Jesus underneath his teaching. So it's a mirrored thing. As we flip through Scripture, we, we just don't see Paul or anyone else giving any credit or assurance to any of these theories. But the fact remains is that there in the desert of Arabia, Paul spends 1,095 days, give or take, in utter silence and solitude, alone, away from others, by Himself, with just Him and God. Look at verse 18. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to go and know Cephas, who is Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. See, I am of the persuasion that for three years that Saul was in that silence there in the desert of Arabia, he was in silence and solitude as he thought, prayed, wrestled with his former life. He listened to God's voice, reorienting his thinking to right doctrine and sound theology, as he says in this passage, that he called me through his grace. 
That he saw the depths of God's intimate love and sovereignty as he says here again, He who set me apart. He witnessed man's wretchedness and the glory and the deity of Christ, the miraculous wonders of the resurrection of his Lord and Savior. As he says, as he was pleased to reveal his Son to me. That he recognized the church. His new purpose. His calling from God as He says, I might preach Him. It was a complete and utter crash course that would lead to a lifetime of writing, teaching, preaching, evangelizing, and establishing and leading the church. It was there in Arabia where Saul left the shallow pursuit of man in exchange for God's depth in silence and solitude. Saul simply met God in silence and solitude. See, the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude are woven throughout Scripture. Jesus Himself had this as a massive discipline in His life. We find periods in His life where He does this. And some of them are just mere moments. Some of them are hours. Some of them are days, if not more. As we see in Matthew 14.13, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. Matthew 14.23, And after He had dismissed the crowds, He went upon up on the mountain by Himself to pray. When evening came, He was there alone. Mark 1.35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. We then find Mark 6.31, Luke 5.16, Luke 6.12, Luke 4.42, and the list goes on and on just with Jesus alone, not to mention all the other men and other women in Scripture that we see going off into silence and solitude. So here's my point. What we need are a new life discipline brought forth out of our life that is is empowered by our freedom in Jesus Christ. There are so many biblical reasons for why would we pursue silence and solitude. First and foremost, it's to express worship to God as we see in Habakkuk 2.20, Zephaniah 1.7, and Zechariah 2.13. To be physically and spiritually renewed as we saw in Mark 6.31. To regain spiritual perspective as it shows in Luke 1.5-25 and 57-64. To then also seek the will of God in Luke 6.12-13. And I can hear many of you going, but Pastor Drew, I don't think you understand. My life is not conducive to this right now. Silence and solitude? Are you like I don't? I can't even get my brain to slow down from going 100 miles an hour to find an off ramp to even park for a minute to be able to even to find out what solace, silence and solitude even figures into my life. I can't. Are you kidding me? Some of you moms are going. Do you know how much laundry I have at home to do? Side note. Uh, Laundry is from sin. 
just so you know, prior to sin, Adam and Eve walked around in the garden naked. And they were totally fine. And then after that, the fall happens, what do they do? They go find fig leaves, weave them together to cover themselves. So when we get to heaven, we can thank Adam and Eve, or we can lay hands on them, if you catch my drift, and say thank you for giving me the wonderful chore and sin of laundry, right? But we already are thinking of reasons why silence and solitude cannot exist in our life. I'm not telling you to go get on a plane and go get stranded off into the tropical somewhere. I'm not telling you to go wander off into Arabia for three years. I'm simply saying that we need to find quickly moments in our life because if we don't, if we do not find those moments that fill our days, our weeks, and our lives Man's shallow pursuit will infiltrate those moments. And we will be missing a perfect opportunity for the depth and communion with our God Himself. Let me say this, so what if your email, your text messages, your voicemails, your whatever box you have that fills up with things to do, fills up? Let me tell you this, those people will be okay. They're going to see a day tomorrow. They will not die because you did not answer their message. They will be okay. Their life is not dependent upon you answering their message. In fact, you have a far greater dependency on your need for God in communing and talking with Him than they do with you. So, What are some strategies for doing this, right? I'm a type A'er. I need bullet points. Give me what do I got to do? Number one, slow down. Slow down. The Christian life, as we see it described in Scripture, is a race. Not a hundred yard dash. It is a marathon. Some of us are running this thing like it is a hundred yard dash. And we need, to take, we need to take advantage of those little solitudes that are in our day. You know, those moments that are early in the morning when you wake up and you're still laying there in bed before the kids absolutely shatter that silence. And you see parents staring at me going, no, that, no, that does not exist in our house. Right? That moment where you're still laying there in bed and you're actually not getting up, your feet haven't hit the ground yet. Take Notice of that silence in that moment of solitude. I I heard this statistic and it it blew me away. 54% of Christians admitted to checking their smartphones within minutes of waking up. 73% said that, 73%, okay, outside of the 53%, they now did another question. 73% of Christians said that they are on their phones doing email, text, phone calls, something, social media, outside of whatever they need to to get ready in the morning before they ever engage in any spiritual discipline. Whether that be prayer, Bible intake, worshiping God, whatever. 73% of Christians are on their phone before they even think about connecting with God. Think of the solitude of the morning. Sitting out on your back porch with a cup of coffee. These are pictures uh, from my back porch. No, you can't have my house. 
I love where I am at. In fact, um, I'm renting it, and they don't know it yet, but they're never getting the house back. So this, these are pictures from my back porch. Sitting in the morning, enjoying a cup of coffee. Man, silence and solitude. What a beautiful picture to be able to just sit and bask in His glory as He has created and painted that picture just for you. Just for you. In fact, that one with the orange sky uh, on your upper right, that actually, one morning, that's not from my back porch, I actually drove up, got to the top of William Blunt um, off of 331 and turned right there at the light, and I stopped and I literally got out and took that picture. As you can see, the fog has filled the valley. You get the mountains in the background and everything. And I simply just stood there and went, wow! God, you... Wow! I don't care. You don't get that at a beach. But enjoy the finding of peace and solitude on a morning walk. Sipping your coffee on an afternoon stroll. Or maybe even going out at night and basking at His radiance as you count the stars. Man, what a joy! I think we need a reminder that this was the very thing that we were basking in just a couple of years ago when COVID shut everything down. That we were so thankful as I talked to person after person after person, the remark that I got from them was, man, I didn't realize how fast I was moving through life. I'm so glad that I have this time to just sit back as everything else has been stripped away and I've got just the bare essentials. We're just a couple years removed from that, and look where we are already. Back to running the race as fast as we can. Guys, we don't need six steps for a better life. We don't need six ways to try to find success or to pursue the latter. We simply need to rethink our priorities as we bask in His radiant glory. Will it take time? Absolutely. But if you do not take that time, the world will fill it with something that does not need to be there. Number two, listen and reflect. For some of us, this is far harder than others, right? We like to talk. I'm one of them, okay? I, I, I have realized that there are times where my wife can look at me and go, no, I think you need to shut up. And I'm like, okay, I get it, right? We need to stop and listen, Whatever you need to do, you need to develop, you need to find, you need to create. Whatever you need to do, you need to get where you can be in silence, in a quiet place, and just recluse away into that space. For some, it may be a room in your house. For others, it may be the back of a closet. Look, I, I know some people that they go, look, I don't even have that kind of space in my house. So they have what is called the silence chair. If you're sitting in there, you can't be bothered. There is an, an, uh, a, a, a fake wall right around that. You can't bug them. Find something. Do this. For some of you, it may be just simply getting in your car on your morning drive to work. Don't let the radio come on. You don't need all those other talking heads going to you. You've got the one who ultimately matters to talk to. For some of you, it's, man, turn, turn the phone off. Turn the music off. 
You don't need the singing. You don't need all the other the talking, all the other distractions. For me, I, I go for a run. I know, I'm weird. I'm probably the only one in here that this one works for. But I take off and I go on a run. Why? One, nobody's dumb enough to go run with me. Right? So I'm alone. Two, I don't take any music with me at all whatsoever. I know, I'm a masochist for pain and suffering. Okay? But then on top of that, I don't take a phone or anything else. I have nothing to distract me. And what I found is that running is no longer a physical endeavor, but it has become a spiritual endeavor because as I run, there is a quietness to me running that I can now shut everything else away as I pursue and listen to what He is trying to show me in my life. That there is a silence that is there as my body is slowly dying and decaying out from underneath me that I get to sit there and go, Lord, what are You showing me? And I simply listen. Technology now makes it possible for us to enjoy the benefits of news, music, education, so much other content at a constant connection whenever and wherever we want to be. But the downside is is that the appeal and accessibility of these things means the elimination of almost all quiet spaces in our life. Brothers and sisters, disconnect from everyone else talking to you and listen to the One who created, designed, and called you to His purpose. Third, man, get off the treadmill. Get off the treadmill. We have this underlying pressure to make sure that when we leave this world, we have made a difference, that we have made an impact, that we have left some form of a a radiant legacy for others to be able to look back, that this world is now different because we have existed. We have insecurities that surface as we try to push for authority, as we try to grab a hold of power, as we cling to the prestige in some way. Can I tell you something? I've had the opportunity to be able to talk to a lot of people that are at the top of the mountain that so many of us are trying to run to. And the people that are there at the top of that mountain, they are no more satisfied or happy than any of us. In fact, I would say that they are longing even more to find that they are worthy in some way, shape, or form. That they are trying to fill their life with something to say, see, look, this is what makes me worthy. See, look, I have done this and this and this, so then that means I am great, that I have excelled, that I have left a mark, that I have power, authority, and influence because of these different things. They will continue to pursue for man's stamp of approval to feel good when they get that good old gold star. We as Christians are not immune from this pursuit. What is it going to take for us to give up the idea that that doesn't have to be? That our problem is that we are blinded by our perspective. That we see ourselves as resourceful, talented, articulate, responsible, efficient. So why do we need to pause? Why do we need to take a break? We have important things to do. 
We have programs to run, businesses to grow, meetings to attend to, numbers to crunch, programs to launch, children to raise and rear and to send off into the world. We have all these different things to go and do. Not to mention the stacks of laundry that I've already mentioned. I mean, just imagine what I could do for God's kingdom if I was just this. If I just had that, or if I was just like so-and-so. Man, imagine what I could do for God. I don't know why, but I feel like I've got to say this. Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, your little professional athlete that you have has a 0.0296%. 0.0296% of becoming a professional athlete. Get off the treadmill. One day they will stand before God and where will their relationship be? I'm not saying don't pursue after those things. Man, there are, some, there are some wonderful, great things. But ultimately, where is your perspective as you run on that treadmill? Get off the treadmill. This is my advice to you. Stop trying to be number one. Stop trying to be number one. Be the best and most excellent whatever. Fill in the blank. Be the best at what God has given you a purpose and calling to do. Be the best at what He has designed you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. If His plan includes bringing you to a higher level of success, He'll do that. It'll be in His time, in accordance to His plan, in the way that He chooses to do so. Don't run to run. Run with a divine purpose and set your mind on kingdom priorities on stuff that actually matters okay here we go i'm going to close with these final thoughts chuck nolan in the movie castaway eventually gets off of his desolate remote island as the lone survivor as he is picked up by a passing ship After four years of silence and solitude, he returns home to what is now a completely unfamiliar world and life that resembles nothing of what he had four years ago. Chuck is an alien. Silence and solitude have contributed to such a radical, all-consuming change that he is no longer who he used to be. He is now marked by depth, reflection, and peace all gained through silence and solitude. Stop and think for a moment. When was the last time you carved out time to be absolutely alone with God? When was the last time you set aside responsibilities and said no to the things that would fill your schedule, robbing you of any remaining time for quietness? As you simply sit before the Lord. Many of you can't remember, and many of you even laugh at the notion that I would even suggest that such a thing is even possible. The shallowness of man says, run. Run. Everything will be fine until the well runs dry.
And at that point, we start to just simply try to gut it out. We continue to try to run on empty until finally our lives fracture deep within. And at that point, we begin to simply try to put one foot in front of the other as we are no longer running, but walking and then getting to a slow crawl to where we are on our hands and knees trying to pull ourselves forward to where we come to a complete grinding stop. That is when the truth comes out, when jobs fall apart when marriages crumble, when children wander from the Lord unattended, and our character weakens to the point of utter blowout. Those painful experiences demonstrate the real dangers of not getting before your Lord and Savior in silence and solitude and just sitting with Him. Silence and solitude converted Saul. He learned this very crucial lesson as he took this sabbatical into the desert of Arabia. Brothers and sisters, more than any other generation in history, we must discipline ourselves to enjoy the blessings of silence and solitude. Love you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time that we are able to come together And praise Your name through song as we get to praise Your name as we sit at the foot of the cross and walk through Your Scripture. Lord, I thank You for Saul and this illustration in showing us the importance of silence and solitude. Lord, as we get ready to sing through worship, Lord, that we would check our hearts and see where we are at. Are we running in the noise of man's shallowness, are we sitting and basking in the depths of Your silence and solitude. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.